Thank you, David and Nessia. I uh, did not realize I was picking a new song when I started looking for this song. It just came to my head as I was studying the book of Revelation in preparation to uh, this series of messages. And uh, you could actually find the basis for this song if you wanted to, uh, going to Revelation chapter 5. I'll just read it. Uh, it's not one of my prepared verses. Uh, but John is in the, has been carried in the spirit into the throne room of heaven. And it says in verse 5.11, Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard saying, blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Then the four living creatures said, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshipped him who lives forever and ever. So the words for the song we just sang basically came from the throne room of heaven. And uh, when we were singing them, if you sang them from your heart, uh, you were as close to the throne room of heaven as you can be here on the earth. We will uh, continue our study of the book of Revelation. We made it to verse 9 of chapter 1, if you want to turn there. But as you turn there, um, I wanted to share a little bit of my experience earlier this year. I think I may have already shared it uh, with most of the saints, if not all the saints. So maybe you've heard it before. But um, my wife asked me, uh, this is again goes back like six months, she asked me one day, why did you change the password to a bank account? And I said, I didn't. <laughs> and that was the first step in finding out that I was the victim of identity theft. Somebody has stolen my identity, tried to get into a bank account, tried to get all our money. Uh, praise the Lord, the bank was smart enough to stop them between my action and that of the bank. Uh, I didn't actually lose any money, but... I was involved in a lot of work trying to protect it, trying to get it back. Um, and uh, as I was going through the processes, and, and it was like weird stuff. I mean, it was different people. Somehow I became available to a multitude of these people who try to get money from you. Uh, and, you know, somebody was buying like a laptop in Massachusetts, you know, <laughs> with my credit card. And I'm like, you know, why isn't anybody doing anything to stop these guys, right? I mean, it's like uh, there's a community out there that's looking for these opportunities, and, uh, and that's how they live. That's how they yeah, either, either make their living or how they get extra stuff. And um, it seemed, seemed wrong to me, right? I didn't feel right about it. Uh, now, to be honest, uh, the police probably have more important things to do. Right? There are more serious crimes being connect, uh, committed. People are being uh, are physically harmed. Uh, people are being murdered. Uh, and so there is, there is 
uh, much, much greater cases than mine, but it's also a truth that a lot of these uh, injuries, murders, uh, crimes against humanities go unpunished, go unpunished in our world. And um, the title for my message is Jesus the Judge. Je Jesus the Judge. The first point is that we need a judge. Clearly, there is a need for justice in this world, which means we need a judge. Uh, and God will provide one, as we will see in this passage. Uh, uh, so let's go ahead and read it. Revelation 1, starting at verse 9, and we'll read all the way to the end of the chapter. Revelation 1, 9. I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet, saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, and what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. So there is John. We're told he's on an island called Patmos. Uh, we're told here uh, that he was there for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ, which, as I understand it, means uh, he was serving sentence. He was, he was uh, uh, in a sense, breaking the Roman law by preaching the word of God. Uh, they taught that uh, everybody should give uh, Caesar the place, the uh, highest place in their lives, and as Christians uh, would instead give the Lord Jesus Christ the highest place in their life, they were technically in violation of Romans law. And John, as a proponent of Christianity, was banished to the island of Patmos. And that's where he's at, and he's given this revelation. So I thought perhaps we should just take a quick note of of John the Baptist getting what we would call the front seat. When uh, we go to, to a play or a musical, as, as my family has a tendency of going, uh, we will reserve our tickets online, and you get to pick the, the seat you want in the theater, and you always want to get front center if you can. Uh, inevitably, you cannot. Somebody else has front center. So you can go back in the rows, you can go side in the rows. John has front center seat of the greatest revelation recorded in the Bible. How did John get it? Uh, just two thoughts. Uh, one, uh, John um, does not think highly of himself. Uh, he, we could think of him as uh, one of the prominent apostles. He may have been the last surviving apostle at this point. This book is generally believed to have been written uh, around 60 years after the Lord Jesus came. Uh, to this world. Uh, John was perhaps a young man at the time, but he would be, I'd guess, at least 80 years old or so when he wrote it. Uh, and uh, all the other apostles uh, would have been martyred by this point, uh, as far as we know. So he could have claimed to be somebody, hey, I am the last living apostle, and I have a word for you guys, you better listen. But he doesn't. He says, uh, I, John, your brother and companion, in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ. He's not setting himself above anybody, right? And that's key, I think, to 
receive God's revelation, and I'm not talking necessarily of a supernatural revelation in the sense that John got it, but uh, you're here in, uh, in the church with somebody uh, preaching from the Bible, and I'm hoping that you're hoping to get a revelation, as in a greater appreciation of the truth of God this morning. And one of the key is not to think more highly of yourself, particularly not setting yourself above uh, the Word of God, thinking somehow, well, you know, other people in this church, they need to hear this message, but I'm good. I got everything I need. All right? that's, that's, that's a quick way to get no revelation from God. You've just excluded yourself. Um, the other is, um, John says he was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. And what that speaks to me is of obedience. Uh, being in the Spirit simply means obeying the Spirit of God. We've received the Spirit of God uh, as believers, but do we walk in the Spirit? And to walk in the Spirit means letting the Spirit rule my life, which means obeying God's previous revelations. Right? As God reveals you things as a believer, you could choose to apply them to your life or you could choose to ignore them. Uh, to walk in the Spirit means to apply God's revelation to your life. Again, I'm not talking about supernatural, I'm talking about the Word of God. As God reveals it to you from His Word, are you applying it to your life? If not, again, that, that's going to stop additional revelation. Otherwise, God is just heaping judgment upon you by giving you more revelation you're not going to obey. So two keys to receive, to be front and center in God's revelation is not thinking too highly of yourself and walking in obedience to past revelation. Okay, what does, John, what does God, uh, or the Lord Jesus here, reveals to John? So we're told in verse 12, then I turned, so John was, uh, was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and he hears the voice behind him, a uh, loud voice as of a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, and what you see right in a book, and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet, and girded about the chest, with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun, shining in its strength. Uh, when we go to a musical or a theater, uh, often uh, the actors will come out dressed in some costume, right? And you as the audience, as you're watching them come in, you start assigning, okay, well, this person, uh, you know, is a sailor. I can tell by what he's wearing. Uh, this person is, is a homeless person. I can tell by what he's wearing, right? And it's one of the ways the producer of, of the musical or, or play 
is communicating what they want to communicate to you by what it is that the actors are wearing. And uh, Jesus, or the Son of God, uh, over the years has revealed himself in different ways uh, to communicate something about his person he desired to communicate. Uh, we, are, uh, we have him appearing in the Old Testament as the angel of the Lord, uh, sometimes not obviously different than, than other people around him. Um, he was just a messenger. He was bringing people the word of God. Uh, we see him in the Gospels, uh, coming into the world as a baby, growing up, uh, and, uh, and, and living as a carpenter, uh, later as a religious teacher. Um, but, but, man, very much uh, human, uh, revealing, revealing his humility, among other things, his humanity as he chose to clothe himself with humanity so that he could also be the bearer of our sins. Uh, during that time, he transfigures himself on the Mount of Transfiguration, if you would remember, uh, and actually uh, appears in a somewhat similar to appearance he has here. Um, his clothing becomes white. His, his face shines as the sun. Um, later on, after he dies, he appears in a resurrected body. His resurrected body was different. He could apparently change his appearance because his disciples sometimes recognize him, sometimes they don't recognize him, the ones who've been with him for three years. Um, in this uh, passage, uh, we see the Lord Jesus revealing himself as a judge. He is dressed and appears as a judge would, something that people at the time perhaps would recognize uh, more than we would, or as God chose to display Jesus as a judge. And we'll get into the details uh, soon. Uh, later on in Revelation, he appears as a lamb as though it was slain. The same chapter that we were just uh, singing from, in a sense. And so Jesus has the ability of appearing uh, in a different way. Now, something we need to understand is a difference between an actor coming on the stage wearing a costume and the Lord Jesus taking a form, because the actor is pretending to be somebody he is not. The Lord Jesus always appears as what he is. And so here, when he appears as the judge, it is because he really is the judge that God has sent into the world. He's not pretending to be a judge. He's not temporarily taking the role of a judge. He is the judge that God has set over the world. And we have that from John chapter 5, verses 26 through 30. Jesus is speaking here, and he says, For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself and has given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous, 
because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. So Jesus is saying, I am the judge that God has sent into the world. God the Father is not going to judge humanity. He has given that place to God the Son. And so Jesus is appearing here as a judge because he is. Uh, excuse me as I grab my water. I was so clever about uh, preparing in advance and I forgot it in my seat. <laughs> okay. So, again, as I was comparing this to like a musical or a play and somebody coming in a costume, uh, the, the director of a play can choose more than you will be dressed as a, as a judge or you will be dressed as a sailor. He can choose details in your costume that will give people a sense, oh, this is a successful sailor. Oh, no, this is not a successful sailor, right? Based on how uh, neat his costume is, how richly it's decorated. Right? So Jesus is the judge, but what kind of a judge is Jesus is also communicated in his appearance here. Uh, first of all, having a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band uh, speaks of his purity. It speaks of his purity as a judge. How would you feel if you go to a judge uh, I would go to a judge and I would say, God, I need, uh, sorry, judge, I need justice here. This person committed identity theft against him, me, and stole all the money from my bank. And then you find out that the judge himself is a crook and he has his hand in the pie. Right? It's like, <laughs> give me another judge. Right? Well, not, not so with the Lord Jesus. He is pure, untouched by sin. Uh, he is the one who could say, uh, there is no sin in me. Which of you accuses me of sin? Let him throw uh, the first stone. So, yeah, he's pure. That's the kind of judge we want. Uh, second, it says that he is a head and hair were white as wool, as white as snow. Um, that could be taken in a couple of ways. Uh, some would apply it uh, to the fact that Jesus has, has wisdom, infinite wisdom. Uh, usually, uh, we associate uh, white hair with age, and usually we associate with age wisdom. So we know it's not, you know, it's possible uh, to, to be old and not wise, and it's possible to be wise and not old, but usually there is a correlation between the two. As you've grown older, you're wiser because you've had more life experiences, and hopefully you've applied those wisely. Uh, it could also speak of the fact that his judgments are righteous, uh, that pure white, white also speaks of righteousness in the Bible, and that's the kind of judge I want, a righteous, a righteous judge, a wise judge, a righteous judge. Uh, he has, he's described as having eyes uh, of fire. Uh, I remember once, uh, as an elder, meeting with, uh, with a couple, and uh, they, you know, one was accusing the other of, of doing wrong things. And the accused person says, you know, I wish you could see the truth. And I told them, you know, I can't see the truth. You have to tell me the truth. You have to explain to me, uh, maybe give me evidence, uh, because I can't see, right? And it's true with judges, too. Uh, I might summon a judge uh, for my case, help me with my identity theft issue, and the other person will say, oh, I didn't do anything wrong. 
right? And, and he might uh, sound good and come up with a good alibi. And I would just wish that that judge could see through those lies and say, no, 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 I, can, I know you are guilty. Uh, and, but that is, uh, the Lord Jesus is one who can see. Eyes of fire speak of the fact that he can see through, right? Nothing, no, no disguise is going to get through the Lord Jesus' court, right? He'll be able to see uh, through to the heart of a situation. He, uh, it speaks here of him having uh, feet of brass, feet of brass. Uh, brass is often associated with judgment in the scriptures. So feet of brass, again, speak of Jesus as a judge. Um, there's a verse that I thought might help us with this a little bit. Revelation 19.15 says, Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. So it speaks of, of him treading as in judgment as um, in those days when you made wine, you took grapes, you put them in a winepress, and you stepped on them to get the juice out of the grapes. And that's how uh, Jesus is described here in an action of judgment in Revelation uh, 19.15. So again, I think the feet of brass speak of him executing judgment. And uh, I think of a judge, let's say uh, I'm in a court of law and I call the judge, this person stole my identity, stole my money, do something. And the judge says, you know, I see the truth. I understand the situation. But uh, unfortunately, this man is the son of the president. So I can't really touch him. Right? I don't want a judge like that. I want a judge with power to execute judgment. And the Lord Jesus has power to execute judgment. Uh, there isn't anyone who could say, well, you can't touch me. Uh, no, the Lord Jesus can touch you. Um, okay, his voice uh, is described here as uh, having... Uh, the sound of, of many waters, which, as I understand it, is uh, speaking of how loud it is. I mean, today I would say, well, your voice sounds as loud as, you know, a concert speaker, you know, coming out at 110 decibels. But they didn't have that in those days. The loudest sound was that of a, of a rushing river, many waters. Uh, we were in Yosemite this uh, past month, and the Merced was flowing uh, with a higher amount of water than I've ever seen before. And as we were driving by, you could hear the river uh, over the sound of, of my driving. But uh, sometime in a court of law, you have the judge, and he uses the gavel. Uh, and there may be different reasons they do it. I, I always see it on the screen as, you know, when there's an uproar in the court, right? And... Uh, some witness is saying something, and somebody is arguing and shouting, and uh, there's hullabaloo going on, and the judge has to call the meeting to order, and he's banging it with a gavel. Uh, the Lord Jesus doesn't need a gavel, right? His word comes with such a power, it dominates. It dominates all other sounds. Uh, when he pronounces his judgment, it won't be difficult to hear 
what the Lord Jesus is saying. Uh, then we have uh, the sword coming out of his mouth. And again, there's a verse that goes with that, I think that might help explain it. Uh, Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Uh, when, uh, when judges pronounce, pronounce the judgment, um, they, they could be wrong, right? Or they might uh, not hit directly on target. Uh, the judgment might be somehow flawed. Uh, when the Lord Jesus pronounces his judgment, they're going to be accurate. He'll be able to perfectly divide uh, uh, actions and intents, right? I, I think in our minds, often we excuse ourselves. I do something. But in my mind, I'm doing this because of this circumstance. And that somehow justifies what I'm doing, even though other people might think what I'm doing is wrong. Right? The Lord Jesus will be able to cleave that directly and say, oh, yeah, here's what you were thinking, and here's the circumstances, and here's what you did. And be able to clearly distinguish, no, this, what you did is wrong. Right? These other items are very clearly identified as distinguished from your choice in this situation. You're responsible for what you've done. That's the, the sword, the word of God. It, it cuts exactly, precisely to the point. Uh, finally, uh, we have his countenance <clears throat> shining like the sun. Uh, I, this could again speak of his power, his unmatched power, uh, I'm thinking also of uh, 2 Samuel 23, 3 through 4. Uh, this is David's uh, almost last words. He says, The God of Israel said, The rock of Israel spoke to me, He who rules over men must be just, ruling in the fear of God. And he shall be like the light of the morning when the sun rises a morning without clouds like the tender grass springing out of the earth by clear shining after the rain. Um, as I've grown older, believe it or not, uh, I've noticed that my eyes are dimming a little bit. Uh, I need better light to read by. I used to be able to read with almost no light, uh, no more. Now I need to have decent light. Uh, and... Uh, Sometimes I may need more light, and I'll pull out you know, my phone and turn on the flashlight so I can have more light on the situation. Uh, that's what I think David is describing here in this perfect day uh, brought by justice. Um, like tender, a morning without clouds, like tender grass springing out of the earth by clear shining after the rain. You can see every droplet on the grass, right? Everything is just perfect in the light of the sun. And uh, when Jesus is done with the judgment, everything is going to be perfect. You'll see everything so clearly. Uh, we, we tend to model justice in this world. We model justice in our eyes. When Jesus is done with his judgment, 
Uh, I think, in a sense, everyone will praise the Lord in just how clear his judgments are, how clear they are, they are sin. And that's the kind of judge we want. We want the perfect judge. Jesus is the perfect judge. Uh, next, we see the appearance or the impact of Jesus' appearance on John. Verse 17, uh, John says, And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. Uh, John is... Uh, uh, overcome by this vision of the Lord Jesus. It was so awesome. Uh, it, it's difficult for us. We're here sitting in a comfortable uh, seat, uh, reading the words, maybe listening to a speaker. Uh, John was there, and he saw the Lord Jesus, uh, the one he used to lean his head against, right, as the beloved apostle. And yet, the Lord Jesus, as the judge, is so awesome that John fell at his feet as dead. Uh, I assume meaning passed out, right? But just completely overcome by this vision or appearance of the Lord Jesus. But Jesus comforts John. He comforts him with his hand, right? He, he lays his right hand on John. And he says to him, don't be afraid. Uh, and then he gives him a list of words that I think speaks of Jesus' own victory over death, a victory which he was extending to John and all believers. Uh, all of us uh, will uh, escape death uh, through the victory of the Lord Jesus over death. And uh, while Jesus' judgment is awesome, uh, it's also mixed with mercy and grace, right? It doesn't mean that Jesus won't be just, but in all his judgment, we see a, uh, a vein of grace and mercy uh, in it, which I hope to show as, as I continue in describing the work of Jesus as a judge in the coming verses. Uh, Jesus continues in telling John, write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after this. I think Don pointed out that <clears throat> you can use this verse as a key verse for Revelation because John will be writing about the things which he has seen, which is what we just read. What did he just see? He saw the Lord Jesus as a judge, Right? And the things which are, which will be the Lord Jesus' letters to the churches, right? which is what we will be studying for the next seven weeks. But I'll introduce some of that uh, in the next few minutes. And the things which will take place after this, that will be the Lord Jesus judging this world, which is what most people think about as the book of Revelation, uh, all these disasters that come on the face of the earth, uh, that is the rest of Revelation, basically, after chapter 5. Okay, so that's, that's why this is considered a key verse. Uh, so we talked about our need for a judge, 
we talk about um, Jesus being the judge and the kind of judge he's going to be. Uh, so now I thought we could spend a little bit of time talking about Jesus' work as a judge. And uh, we see in the first uh, couple, next, the next couple of verses, uh, John explains to us, or rather, Jesus explains to John the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. It's an introduction to the next couple of chapters in which Jesus is writing letters to the churches describing himself as the judge of the churches. So Jesus' first work of a judge focuses on the churches, and it includes us today. Jesus is today judging the churches, which we would see again in the next, next few weeks as we study uh, through those letters. But uh, what is it that Jesus is interested in as he looks at us as his church? What is his work as a judge, as he's judging the church. Uh, as we look into it in the next few weeks, we'll see that Jesus uh, commends the churches for a number of things. So we, these are things that are important to Jesus because he commended them. He commended them for their works, their labors, their patience, their perseverance, their love, their faithfulness to him during persecution, and their response to those who practice evil and to those who bring false doctrine into the churches. So these are things he actually commended churches. In these seven churches, he always found, with the possible exception of the last one, something to commend about the church. Okay? So those are things the churches were commended for. Uh, Jesus also rebukes the churches, not all of them, but five out of the seven are rebuked for forsaking their first love for him. So losing that first love that we have as believers for the Lord Jesus. Allowing false doctrines to be taught in the church. Uh, idolatry and sexual immorality being practiced in the church. to keep my, my finger on this, uh, being spiritually dead, so having, having a name that you're alive, making a profession of being Christians, but there are not being any reality in our lives, uh, and being lukewarm, so not being excited about the things of God. Uh, those are things that the Lord Jesus rebukes the churches. And uh, as, as Don introduced us to this, he, I, I may get the wording not quite right, but uh, in, in the letters to the churches, you have a timely truth. That is, there was issues at that church that he was being, dealing with. And uh, there was a timeless truth. There's a sense in which these apply to all churches at all times. And there is a timeline of truth, meaning during the ages, you know, the church characterized certain uh, attributes that, that you could kind of see with those seven churches. So certainly what we just said applies to us as well today. Judgments and rewards. In his judgment of the churches, uh, the judgments are mostly of a temporal 
value. Um, he, ju he judged or warned. So these are things he, he warned the churches would happen to them if they didn't repent. Again, all of this is describing the work of Jesus as a judge. Uh, he warned them that he will take away their church. He warned them uh, that he would use his word against them. Warned them of casting them into a sickbed, bringing great tribulation up to the point of physical death. And warned them of coming upon them as a thief. Again, we're going to go through this in great details in future weeks, so you don't have to write this all down. And, and if you don't understand something, you could come to me and ask me afterward, or you could wait until the week we will actually spend a whole week on these items, and, and you'll get this in greater detail. Finally, he warns them of vomiting them out of his mouth. That's pretty graphic. Uh, yet, uh, he offers eternal rewards. So most of his judgments are of a temporal nature. His rewards are always eternal. Uh, the rewards of, of being faithful uh, to him, all these, the list I gave, things he commanded them for. Uh, they would get to eat of the tree of life. If you ever wanted, what did the tree of life, the food from the tree of life really tasted like? <laughs> and what will it do to me? <laughs> You'll find out. Uh, not being hurt by the second death, uh, eating manna, okay, another chance of trying something from the Old Testament time, uh, getting a white stone uh, with uh, your name, a new name written on it, ruling the nations, uh, you'll get the morning star, uh, you'll have your name confessed in heaven, you'll become a pillar in the temple of God in heaven, have the name of God and the name of the city of God written on you, and uh, having a right to sit on the throne of God with Jesus. Right? I mean, these are, these are Jesus' rewards he is offering uh, to believers today of eternal nature. Jesus the judge. Uh, next is his role as the judge of the world, uh, the whole world which is what most of the rest of the book of Revelation uh, is about. Uh, there's a verse I wanted to read because it's not always obvious what is it that Jesus is judging when he's judging the world. You see all these plagues coming upon the world and you know, a quarter of the population dies and a third of the population dies. And What is Jesus judging the world for? These verses might be helpful. Revelation 9. Uh, verse 20 and 21. But the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues. So again, these are plagues that the Lord Jesus has been bringing as the judge of the world. Right? He's judging the world. But the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands that they should not worship demons and idols of gold silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk, and they did not repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. So there's two types of sins here. Uh, there's first the sin against God, and that's the sin of idolatry. Uh, 
not giving God his rightful due in our lives, replacing him with something else. So it could be um, an idol of wood, gold, silver, uh, or it could be made uh, out of glass and electronics, <laughs> right? Something that becomes more important to me than God himself. Uh, replacing God, the place that God wants to have in my life. And the other type of sin <coughs> uh, here is sinning against people, right? They did not repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts, maybe even identity theft. <laughs> uh, and uh, Jesus connects these two when somebody asked him about what's the greatest commandment. Uh, in Matthew 22, it says, then one of them, a lawyer, asked Jesus a question, testing him, saying, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? What is that one great commandment I really have to keep, uh, perhaps if I want to go to heaven? What's the one great commandment? What do I have to do? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. That's the sin of idolatry, right? When something else takes that place uh, in my heart, this is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus would not separate the two. He would not separate the love that we're supposed to have toward God with the love that we're supposed to have toward one another. You cannot have one without the other, if you would. Right? Yes, it's different. My relationship to God supersedes all else. Right? God made me. He created me in his image. And as a result, I owe God the first place in my life. It's reasonable. Uh, but God created a lot of other people around me, and God wants me to love them because they were also created in the image of God. And God gave them certain uh, rights. God loves them. And if I don't treat them right, I'm not treating them the way God wants me to treat them. I'm sinning against God as well. Right? So the two uh, are connected the Lord impressed that upon me uh, <clears throat> today. We were talking about identity theft. Um, but not treating people the way I should treat them is also a kind of theft. Uh, in Romans 13, verse 8 and 9, it says, Owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So this is in the context of uh, paying your debt, right? And I can pay certain debts. I can pay my taxes. And at that point, I don't owe taxes anymore. I can, I can pay uh, the, the, uh, uh, the teller at the grocery store for the groceries I bought, and I walk out with the groceries. I don't owe them anything anymore. 
In this passage, it says, Owe no man anything except to love one another. Why do I still need to owe love to you? And the reason is because I always do. I, it, it's one obligation I have that never goes away. I can never say, well, I've loved you yesterday, and so today I don't have to love you anymore. You never get to the point where you don't owe love to the people around you. And, and love takes different form as in this passage, you do not commit adultery. Well, who am I not loving when I'm committing adultery? Well, I'm not loving my wife. Right? Maybe I'm not loving the person I'm committing adultery with because I'm leading them to also sin against God. Uh, I have children. I have different obligations toward my children. If I'm not fulfilling those, I'm not loving them. God put us in a world full of other people to whom we have obligation to love. And if we don't fulfill that, it's like we're stealing it. Right? I just took away from you something that belongs to you. You deserve my love. And by my not loving you, I've just stolen from you something you deserve. Right? And now I'm the thief. Right? I can't point at somebody else. And, um, and that is what Jesus will judge the world for in the book of Revelation. As we see the world literally being torn to pieces, it's because we don't give God the right place in our lives, and we don't give the people in our lives the right place in our lives. We're not loving them. And for these two types of sin, God will completely destroy this world. But, praise the Lord, as, as we saw in his judgment of the churches, uh, there's always a, uh, what do you call it, a vein of, of grace and mercy. And in the book of Revelation, it, we're told, <coughs> chapter 14, verse 6 and 7, Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth and the sea and springs of water. So there's still opportunity for people to be saved during that time. And God will send angels, right, to preach the gospel uh, to the nations. And as they see these judgments of God and the evidence of the power of God, they have an opportunity to turn to God and say, yes, God, you deserve the glory. You deserve the first, first place in my life, right? And I should do whatever pleases you, including loving these people you put me in the midst of. It's an act of repentance, but there's eternal life being offered. Their escape from judgment comes. Uh, God's mercy and God's grace, he doesn't have to. He could just destroy the world with no gospel, and yet he didn't just send the gospel but he will do so in even greater ways during the, these times of tribulations that are coming ahead. All right, the final judgment is uh, the individual uh, judgment. Uh, God will one day judge you, right? Not just the world as a whole. 
right? Each and every person has an appointment before God. They'll have to give an account to him for how they lived, how they treated him, how they treated others. And uh, that's described for us in Revelation 20, 11 through 15. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. We just went to a musical um, that my daughter was performing in, and uh, one of the actors had this song they sang, saying, we all deserve to die. And he sang it again and again. <laughs> it was a rather disturbing musical. Uh, but he just recognized how everybody was sinners, and everybody deserved death. And the Bible tells us the same thing. We all deserve to die. In fact, we all deserve the second death, which is to be cast into the lake of fire. It's true. It's what the Bible teaches. And if we're honest with ourselves, we know that to be true about ourselves. But here again, we have this vein of mercy and grace. In this passage, it's called the book of life. There is a book of life. And if your name is written in the book of life, you will not be cast into the lake of fire. And we were worshiping the Lord this morning for opening the way, the only way we could be accepted in the beloved is through the Lord Jesus. The judge is also the lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. He was slain for your sins and for mine. And through that act of sacrifice, your sins and my sins can be forgiven if we accept the gift of eternal life. So he's offering us a way up, a way up. But he is the judge, and his judgment will fall upon all who do not accept his mercy and his grace. Let me finish with the question, how do you feel about Jesus the judge? How do you feel about Jesus the judge? The author to Psalm 73 appreciated, appreciated realizing that God will judge the wicked. He says in verse 1, Psalm 73, Truly God is good to Israel, to such as are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped. I was envious of the boastful, for I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Uh, he looked at all his friends that were involved in identity theft, and he saw their iPads and their laptops and how well they were doing. And, uh, and he was envious. 
He said, for there are no pangs in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like other men. Therefore, pride serves as their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge with abundance. They have more than heart could wish. They scoff and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue walks through the earth. Therefore his people return here, and waters of a full cup are drained by them. And they say, how does God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly who are always at ease. They increase in riches. Surely I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence. For all day long I have been plagued and chastened every morning as the author to this psalm is looking and like, how can this be? How can these bad guys get away with stuff and they're doing so well and me, I'm obeying God and everything and I'm struggling. How is that possible? If I had said, I will speak thus, behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. When I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me until I went to the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their end. Surely you have set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. Oh, how they are brought to desolation in a moment, as in a moment. They are utterly consumed with terrors as a dream when one awakes. So, Lord, when you awake, you shall despise their image. The author to this psalm drew comfort from the fact knowing God will come and he will set things right. right? The wicked, those who are engaged in identity theft, or me who's failing to love you as I ought to. Right? God will judge, bring everything into judgment. He will set everything right in this world. Thus my heart was grieved and I was vexed in my mind. I was so foolish and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold me by my right hand. You will guide me with your counsel and afterward receive me to glory. So we can look forward to being received into glory. Now, there are some who are not happy about Jesus the judge. And there was a, an essay written called The Long Silence. I thought I would close by reading it. Author unknown, by the way. I tell you the author, but uh, no known author for this. At the end of time, billions of people were scattered on a great plain before God's throne. Most shrunk back from the brilliant light before them, but some groups near the front talked heatedly, not with cringing shame, but with belligerence. Can God judge us? How can he know about suffering? Snapped a pert brunette. She ripped open a sleeve to reveal a tattooed number from a Nazi concentration camp. We endured terror, beatings, torture, death. In another group, a Negro lowered his collar. What about this? He demanded, showing an ugly rope burn. Lynched for no crime but being black. In another crowd, a pregnant schoolgirl with sullen eyes. Why should I suffer? She murmured. It wasn't my fault. 
Far out across the plain, there were hundreds of such groups. Each had a complaint against God for the evil and suffering he permitted in this world. How lucky God was to live in heaven where all was sweetness and light, where there was no weeping or fear, no hunger or hatred. What did God know of all that man had been forced to endure in this world? For God leads a pretty sheltered life, they said. So each of these groups sent forth their leader, chosen because he had suffered most, a Jew, a Negro, a person from Hiroshima, a horribly deformed arthritic, a thylomide child. In the center of the plain, they consulted with each other. At last, they were ready to present their case. It was rather clever. Before God could be qualified to be their judge, he must endure what they had endured. Their decision was that God should be sentenced to live, to live on earth as a man. Let him be born a Jew. Let the legitimacy of his birth be doubted. Give him a work so difficult that even his family will think him out of his mind when he tries to do it. Let him be betrayed by his closest friend. Let him face false charges, be tried by a prejudiced jury and convicted by a cowardly judge. Let him be tortured. At last, let him see what it means to be terribly alone. Then let him die. Let him die so that there can be no doubt that he died. Let there be a great host of witnesses to verify it. As each leader announced his portion of the sentence, loud murmurs of approval went up from the throng of people assembled. And when the last had finished pronouncing sentence, there was a long silence. No one uttered another word. No one moved. For suddenly all knew that God had already served his sentence. Father, we give you thanks because uh, you love us. You sent the Lord Jesus first as a savior and then as a judge. Lord, we pray for anyone here who has not yet seen the grace and mercy and love of God in providing for their eternal salvation. Uh, not miss it, Lord, for surely as uh, you've judged your son, you've allowed him to be judged by men, so surely justice must come upon all in this world. And we crave, Lord, that not a single one here will miss uh, the free gift of eternal life that you offer before that judgment fall. We pray, Lord, that they might turn to you and receive your love and uh, receive it with open arms. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.